Today is the third week of Advent, and if you are lighting your candle, it's the pink one, and it speaks of rejoicing or joy. I'd like to turn with you to the very famous passage uh, that uh, we have in Luke chapter 2, and it has to do with some very uh, interesting people uh, who would be of no interest to most people at that, at that time. And uh, these are the shepherds. And so I'm going to read a passage from uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 8 onwards, and uh, we can read it together on this meditation for Advent. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field. Now, these were not actually shepherds who owned the sheep. They would be what we would have called hirelings. They are low-level, um, not very good reputationed people who uh, were considered to many people unclean too, uh, keeping watch over their flock by night. They were the lowest of the low in some ways. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. They were filled with great fear. Not great joy, but great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a whole multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. So these are the first witnesses that you find in the Gospels. They're the first witnesses, the most, the least credible of all, but the ones that were chosen by God to be the first witnesses um, uh, of the Gospel. Yeah? And... Uh, and uh, all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Verse 19, And Mary, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering her, them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. As I, as I mentioned, these shepherds were actually, uh, uh, if they were actually um, up at night, uh, through the night, watching over the, um, the flock, they would be considered uh, hirelings. And, uh, and the amazing thing about this joy that we are talking about is that it's often preceded by fear. Fear came first. The, the first revelation of God to them, what happened was that it brought up fear in them. And sometimes we think about joy as something that we can switch on because it's the season for joy and so we should all be happy and we could be happy because of the presence and all that stuff. But actually what happened was that the shepherd's first encounter with Christmas was nothing uh, about the presence or the kind of festivities that we emphasize today. It had to do with the, the fear of God, the sheer fear of the angels, because, the angel, because of the fat sense of their own unworthiness before God. I would like to share with you that in Advent, we don't just whoop-de-doo ourselves up into a Christmas spirit, spirit. What happens is that the Lord, by His angels or messengers, comes and brings us the fear of God. And this fear can sometimes be a fear that's deep-seated. It's, it's rooted in inadequacy in our heart, or perhaps something that we, are, we don't have a good conscience about in our lives, or places in which we feel completely uh, marginalized or completely oppressed, or places in which we feel inadequate uh, in and of ourselves. And the, and, the, and the coming together of our own inadequacy and the presence and the glory of God brings about this fear. This fear is a fear that we feel on the, in the encounter of who we are as we really are before God. And the angel, only the angel, could alleviate their fear. 
It's grace, Amazing Grace, that song by John Newton says, it's grace that taught my heart to fear. And it's grace those fears relieved. I want to put it to you that actually, in order for us to prepare for ourselves for more than just the glitter and the bling-bling of Christmas, what God wants to do is to give us a revelation of Christ given to us. And it erupts in a certain kind of joy that's not like the kind of joy that we see advertised in commerce. But it's a joy that comes when God touches our fears, touches our sin, and touches our failures before Him. It's interesting that these people that God revealed Himself to were considered not important people. Actually, this revelation was firstly towards a very insignificant people. And as it's so wonderful to see that. It's, 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 you see God's love for them in their total insignificance. And then not only does God bring the angel to them, he brings the whole host of angels. You know, a host is more than a thousand angels, right? You know? So he's almost bringing the whole gang of angels to just for these very insignificant people. And it's so beautiful how God's love is like that. He's so expansive. He's so full of hosts of angels for these insignificant people. And the joy that these insignificant people had made them say, hey, let's go to Bethlehem to see this. It's the joy of insignificant people. Isn't that amazing? They're not significant. They are people who, in the eyes of the world, just who, who cares? You are joy? That doesn't even make any difference, difference because your joy is the joy of an insignificant person. And yet God found them so important to him, so, 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 so significant to him that he sent the whole gang of angels to actually reveal himself to them and relieve their fears and relieve their fears so that we don't have to think, I'm not significant, I'm second class in this world, I'm a, a, a marginalized person, I'm an insignificant little, little guy. No, it is the, even, even the joy of an insignificant person is the joy of heaven. Amen? And I want to put it to you that actually, this is the joy that God has for us. Not the joy because we are important or because of the fact that we can fluff ourselves big and puff ourselves up so much so that everybody can, 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 can consider us important or of equal value than everybody else. No, you may be the marginalized one. You may be the one who's the second-class citizen. But the joy of the insignificant is a secret joy that God shares with all his angels in you. It comes when God is allowed to just touch the place of fear. And if you are feeling that, if you're having a place in which you're coming into Christmas with not a good conscience, or perhaps a sense of, a, of, a, of, of smallness, of failure, of diminishment before God, let us pray and we invite the Lord to alleviate the fear. Only an alleviated fear can bring joy. Let us pray. Lord, we bring before you our whole life. Insignificant perhaps to other people, but of infinite glory and love to you. You who would bring to bear thousands of angels upon our insignificant failures, we welcome you, Lord. that you love us nevertheless. And so we bless you, Lord, that as we come before Christmas, we don't have to compare ourselves with other people. We don't have to be diminished by how people have treated, treated us. But we come before you as the insignificant ones, the little people, the little ones, whose hearts are bursting with joy that you can cause to be witnesses. We bless your name. Come and speak your word over our fears. We bless your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Today I'd like to share with you a word that um, is not really a Christmas word, but I'm so convicted by it that um, 
I feel that I have to share this with you. I was praying for this message and I asking God for the word. What is the word today? And the Lord impressed upon me Genesis chapter 41. So I, I, I duly turned to Genesis chapter 41. And uh, it was very funny because as I was turning my Bible, the Bible turned straight to, guess what? Genesis 41. And so I knew that there was something that the Lord had for us that was very important. So I'm going to be sharing from this word. So if you can turn with me to Genesis chapter 41, I will be reading to you from the ESV. Genesis chapter 41 has to do with the end part of the Joseph story where he is, has been in prison for a while. And uh, while he was in prison, he... Um, experienced the grace of God. God was with him. And uh, he experienced an extraordinary um, uh, life, even in confinement. And so, uh, in chapter 40, he had just interpreted the dreams for the baker and the, um, the, the, the cupbearer. And both of these interpretations of the dreams were accurate and prophetic. And they showed the Lord's uh, supernatural revelation upon him. Um, and he told the, he had told the cupbearer that the cupbearer should remind Pharaoh of Joseph's uh, imprisonment uh, for false accusation, and uh, probably use his influence to get him out of prison. Well, the cupbearer duly forgot about it. And it's been two years. So let's have a look at this. Uh, we'll read it from verse 1, Genesis chapter 41. And let's go. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. And behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came out, out of the Nile after them, and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows. And Pharaoh awoke, and he fell asleep, and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven years, ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump, full ears, and Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. But it must have resonated with him in a very, very deep way because it wouldn't let him go. And so Pharaoh could recognize that there was something very important about this dream. So in the morning, his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all his wise men. And Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Then the chief cupbearer, who had been with uh, Joseph in, in, uh, in jail, said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with his own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard, and when we told him, he interpreted our dream to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office, and the baker was hanged. And Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. So Joseph was in a pit, right? He was in a pit, he's in the, in the, in the earth. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you, that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, behold, in a dream I was standing on the banks of the Nile. Seven clouds, cows, plump and attractive, came out of the Nile and fed on the reed grass. Seven other cows came of them and poor and very ugly and thin, such as I had never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the thin, ugly cows ate up the first plunk, pl seven plump cows, and when they had eaten them, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were still as ugly as at the beginning. 
So there's a spiritual component, I think, in this in this uh, in these cows. There's a symbol, symbolism, and uh, I think uh, Pharaoh may have been actually seeing pri- uh, principalities or spiritual powers that are doing that. They are they eaten up the the fat cows. There's nothing natural about it, and then they had they still look ugly as if their character remained and, and sustained. Then I awoke. I also saw in my dream seven ears growing on one stalk, full and good. Seven ears withered thin and blighted from the east wind, sprouted after them, and the thin ears swallowed up the good ears, and I told it to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. None of their learning was applicable, it was revelation. And Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one, God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good years are seven years. The dreams are one. And, uh, and so he begins to explain that. Verse 28, 28, It is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. Imagine how God can speak to those who are not Christians. Yeah? We find that all the time, that God is speaking to those who do not know him, who are not saved yet and uh, who are uh, not in the kingdom of God. Uh, And if if we understand this, then we can understand that God is actually speaking to people who we are praying for already. There will come seven years of great plenty, verse 29, throughout all the land of Egypt. But after them, there will arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land, and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God and God will shortly bring it about. Now therefore let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food for those good years that are coming and store up grain. And under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. The food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish through the famine. And this proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? We're going to stop here for a little bit. Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? And in many ways, I want to kind of start off by saying, this is the cry of the heart of the world. The world is saying, is there a man or a woman of God in whom is the Spirit of God? This is the, 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 the cry of the heart of powerful, not so powerful people, people in the world. Where is there a man or a woman with the Spirit of God in them? And I want to answer this. How does God do the work of raising up a man or woman who is an on-time person, a person who's called for such a time as is to come. I believe this is something that God wants to to prepare us for. He has a a, a path for you and He has a task for you and He has a a, a way He wants you to be filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with the Spirit of God because you and I are being raised up, are being formed for a time in which there will be the question that will be asked and this question will be asked again and again, not just once. Is there a person who's filled with the Spirit of God who can tell me my deepest, um, who can speak to my deepest needs and my deepest problems? I believe that God is calling and changing and making us into that people. God is making us into an on-time people. What do I mean by that? An on-time people, the people who have been raised up and formed with the, fill, the Spirit of God to meet the deepest cries of the world's heart. Can we find a man like this whom, in whom is the Spirit of God? Now, I know in our Christian circles, we always talk about each other in terms of being filled with the Holy Spirit. But I have a feeling that when, the, when Pharaoh is talking about a man in whom is the Spirit of God, he means it in a much more intensive way than what we mean. Um, His expectations 
or being filled with the Spirit are higher than the normal parlance, the way in which we converse and we talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit here. He, I believe he means about it, means in, uh, when he talks about the, being filled with the Spirit of God, more than just speaking in tongues. I mean more, I think he means more than just having received Jesus into their heart and living that kind of life that is quite normal, not, not that much distinguishable from the world. I believe he means something much more, and I don't want to use the word, ra- word radical, I want to use the word powerful, other, quite different, of a different sort, different animal, a different place, a different location, a different spirit, a different feel of it. I think what, what Pharaoh is asking for is a man or a woman who would answer the world problems of starvation or famine that were about to take place. He was asking for something really big. We can tend to use the word filled with the Holy Spirit in a very, very uh, 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 diminished uh, sense. And I don't think that's what Pharaoh is asking. And I don't think that's what the world is asking. I don't think the, 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 the Pharaoh is asking for somebody who's skilled. I think he's asking for, he's not asking for a person who's gifted. The, the hopes and fears of all the years that I met in him, in Christ, are for something more than just a, a skilled and, 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 uh, and, uh, and gifted person who can do great things. I think the great things that he's talking about is the things that only God could do. Only a God could do. It has to do with meeting needs, infirmities, spiritual diseases, conditions of hopelessness, conditions of um, imprisonment, conditions of uh, terrible luck, of devastation, of great need, of great yearning. I think what Pharaoh is asking for and what the world is asking for is for us to have the Holy Spirit to such an extent that what we, what we, we give to the world is not just our education, not just our skills, not just our training, not just our gifts, but God. God that can actually save people out of death, out of the condition of their life, out of the misery of their hearts. I believe that what God is speaking of through Pharaoh is more than just the way we talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit. Pentecostal tend to say, oh, that means he speaks in tongues. I think it's much more than that. I think it's much more than just becoming a Christian that can just do the things that the world can do. I think we're talking about something, something more. And may I suggest to you that God is preparing us not just for our big moment where we can show our skills, He's preparing us so that we can meet the real needs of the world. The real cry of people's hearts. What say you? I believe God has a, and I'll use this word advisedly, destiny for us. Where God is the one that does God-shaped things, God-sized things in people's lives that cause them to be saved, that cause them to be transformed. And you and I, my friends, are the ones that God has put His hand upon to do that work. So that if you're a doctor, you're not just practicing medicine, you're practicing the power of God. If you're a teacher, you're bringing people into the revelation of Christ. Even in nature, even in the, in the books of the world. If you're a, a, or you're a nurse, you're not more than you're caring for people, but the Holy Spirit is working. People get saved, actually. People get saved. Not necessarily everyone, but people see a revelation of God. When you're, if you're a counselor, or if you're an advisor, or you're a mother, or you're a father, or you're a person who serves, you are the source of God's supernatural power. I think that's what Pharaoh's talking about. Not what we, what we mean by conventional kind of humdrum, uh, chip of the old box kind of Christianity that is just nothing that much different from the, the good things in the world. I think it's something much more than that. It's much more radical, may I say.
And so, I believe that God is doing that. And in, along the way, there will be rumors of that as He forms you. And as He forms you, and, he, and you will have in that journey certain milestones that God is actually marking out. And we'll talk about these milestones as He prepares you to answer the deep cries of people's hearts. Is there a person? Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? What the world needs is not more educated people. I do that. The world does need that. But what it really needs is men and women in whom is the Spirit of God. In the sense that Pharaoh is talking about. Not in the sense that conventional Christianity tends to sort of speak about in its reduced form. And the first thing that we see is that as God is preparing Joseph, there are certain things. Let's have a look at this. It says in verse 1 of chapter, chapter 41, after two years, yeah, after two years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. After two years. Two, two years after what? After Joseph had been forgotten by the cupbearer. Can you imagine that in the making of the man or the woman who, whom God is, is actually going to be using, God in two years was doing something. May I suggest to you that after two years is important because of the fact that those two years were not empty years. It was two years in which God was putting the work of the Holy Spirit was him. God was working in him. Yeah? God was working in him. Can you imagine what it was like? You're abandoned. And every day in the, in the pit, you know, he, he was in the pit, right? What will happen is that he was, he was put in a prison under the ground, in the pit. And then he would come out and then he would serve the captain's guard. And then he would go back into the pit. Every day he would do that. But you will find that without, without any sense of when the destiny would be fulfilled, when those dreams that Joseph had had before would be, would be, would be fulfilled, he would be living a life in which he had to struggle and he had to fight against everything that would cause him to feel hopeless. The disappointments, the appointments that did not happen, the disappointments, had to, had to, be, had to be things that he had to um, fight against. He was in confinement. And everything he did was small. Everything he did was just something small. He had to be faithful in, in the small things. And he had to fight those ugly cows, may I suggest. That during those times of confinement, in those two, two years, God had to establish within Joseph against all the natural, broken tendencies we all have when we are disap disappointed. He had to fight against all the demon demonic powers, those ugly cows, that would actually eat up, eat up any kind of optimism that he had. Can you imagine what it's like? You're doing this, and every day, you basically have to fight bitterness, you have to fight disappointment, you have to fight suicide, suicidal tendencies or, or thoughts, you have to fight um, the sense of being insignificant in everything that you do. The dissonance between the promises of God and what you are experiencing. And you are in, in the midst of God, you have to, to in, in the midst of all this, you have to somehow... Spend a lot of your time wrestling with the bitterness, the, the hurt of being completely left aside, of being abandoned. You have to fight against all the questions that are in your heart that make you wonder, does God abandon me? Is life just random? Do these good things happen and then they don't go anywhere? Is God sort of really capricious about me? It is in this place that you are fighting your demons. You are fighting the demons that, that are resident there. They are, they are, they are templated into, into, into our brokenness. And they, which tell us that, you know, God is not gonna, God not gonna rescue us. You're gonna stay in the pit for the rest of your life. And it's in this place that Joseph would have had to fight to be able to hear the voice of God. To, to, to try to find a particle of light in the midst of the tremendous darkness that's there. I want to put it to you that these days, these two years, were the years in which God was working to form in, in, in Joseph an overcoming spirit. And sometimes when we are going through our 
confinement, in which everything we do is small and confined and, and, and piddly. It seems as if it's meaningless. What God is doing is a work in the heart to actually purify our hearts. And we, as, we, as we do that, we sometimes feel that we have to wrestle against all the hopelessness that has always been there. All the things that challenge any good in God. It is in these places that we wonder whether God is even good in our lives. When Joseph was in confinement, it was almost as if the agenda for Joseph's um, rise, as far as external things are concerned, had come to an end. And all he was doing was fighting his own demons. Fighting hopelessness, fighting the sense of no plan for his life, fighting the worry that God has abandoned him. You know, when you're in an open-ended situation, you never know whether it will continue for, for the rest of your life or not. Um, and so it was in this place where everything that Joseph did was under confinement. But you know, in Psalm 74, the, the psalmist says, but God is my king, working salvation in the midst of the earth. In the pit that we may be feeling that we're in, I want to say that God is actually working. And sometimes we may think these things of the heart are not really important. But may I say to you that this is what God is doing. This is the most important thing in our life. The way in which God allows us to keep our hearts pure. To keep on day by day, waking up, feeling the feeling the bitterness, feeling the unforgiveness, feeling the betrayal, being, be, feeling the abandonment, and at the same time, calling out to God and calling out to God and, 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 and waiting upon Him until the comfort comes. And, and in, in, in this situation, what He experiences, the comfort that can only come when we confront our fears, our bitterness, our unforgiveness and function in just plain faithfulness. When you really think about it, it was only two years and by the time Joseph left the prison and he was raised up, he was only 30 years old. So actually, even though it seems like an eternity for him, it was actually quite a short time. And may I say to you that this that there are times in which we seem to be confined, but it's for a finite time. This time of confinement, this time of just being faithful and little with small opportunities, uh, dealing with the disappointments, being tested, allowing our hearts to be just spent mostly in keeping our heart pure, forgiving, forgiving, 70 times 7, and then 70 times 7 times 7 times 7 times 70 times. And it seems sometimes like just, just the same repetitive process of forgiving and forgiving and forgiving and having hope in God. You know what that does? In prison, in the confinement of your prison, your, your imprisonment, what happens is that God is building the big thing. The big things lie not in external things, but they lie in the work that the Holy Spirit does in sanctifying hearts. When we become Christians, the Holy Spirit is given to us. He's given to us without measure. And He's the one that has caused us to live not by the, 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 the law of the flesh of sin and death, but the law of the spirit of life and liberty. What that means? It means that because God has broken the power of bitterness, he has broken the power of our blindness. He has broken the power of hopelessness and the power of that abandonment and death. He has given us His Spirit. We are living under a new spirit. And God is going to teach us how to live in that freedom and that spirit of God, overcoming the, uh, the, the bitterness and the, 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 the betrayal by deriving His power, deriving His powers, waiting upon Him, eating Him, waiting upon Him and setting our hearts towards Him until it begins to lift. And because the Holy Spirit who has overcome these powers, these, these 
skinny cows in our life. Because the Holy Spirit has, has broken these demonic cows in our lives that, that constantly want to eat us up. As you wait upon Him, you will experience the victory. Now, for two years, God was doing a necessary work in, uh, in, uh, in Joseph. You know, I remember when uh, I joined this church that I was a part of for about 17, 17 years. Um, one of the things that the Lord had spoken to me a, a lot about was that God would actually be using me to uh, minister to thousands of people in Malaysia. And he had given me a vision that he will use me in a, in a way to, to restore walls around people's lives. When my father and mother started a church that became the largest church in Malaysia, I was sure that that was the way that God was actually going to be doing it. But actually, what God did was that he brought me and spoke very clear to me that I was supposed to, to, to join this other church that was, in some ways, very, very, uh, very insignificant. And um, it was a really hard church to be a part of. But it was in this place that God was dealing with me. And when I went in and joined this church and I went into full-time ministry, most of my life was used in doing just manual work, cooking, waking up early, sweeping the floor, cleaning the house, cleaning the house, cleaning the house, cleaning the house. All I did was that. I had no spiritual work to do. I was not ministering to anybody. I thought that, you know, God had used me to you to, to, to bring so many people to, to the Lord. That was, a, was a kind of a, a move of God in the, my university. And I thought God was actually going to be using me immediately. I did not realize a few things. Number one, I was living under conditions in which most people in that church, and it was a very small church, considered university graduates as the worst kind of people. They despised my education. They despised my liberal arts, uh, English lit um, education. Every day, the people who I was working with would just berate me for my education, berate me for being the university educated and all that. And they would talk all the worst things about ed the university ed education. There would also be people who would be, who, 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 who would be, how would I say, very good at sweeping house, very good at doing chores, very good at cleaning the house, good, very good at gardening. And I was not good at any of this. I had grown up in a, in a family in which we had maids. We had two maids. And now I was in this situation and I was now at the bottom of the totem pole. Every day, even the way in which I was sweeping the floor was criticized. Everything I did was criticized. I went through it for several, for several months. Everything I did was hopeless, hopeless, hopeless. And, um, and because of the fact that many of the people who are in, in this church have come up with very broken, broken uh, backgrounds and uh, broken experiences, they were very, very, very harsh in their insults. So I just bore it every day. Every day, I, I had to take it. Um, I remember that at the end of every day of, of cleaning the house, I would be sweating, I would be totally exhausted. And people would make fun of me for, for being exhausted for such a small thing like that. And it felt as if that everything my life, in my life was insignificant, insignificant. So this happened for almost a year, for, for almost a year. And, uh, and, and, and honestly, when I had to begin to take small groups and, and to, and to, and to um, disciple people or even teach and all that, most of the time, I was fighting against bitterness. I was fighting against hurt. I was fighting against anger. I was fighting against a bad conscience because of the fact that I almost hated these people because of the way in which they were treating me and, uh, and were... Um, very dismissive, dismissive. <laughs> but it was in this place that I experienced the overcoming spirit of God coming upon me during those times when I would cry out to God in, in, my, in the bedroom, shared with six other people. I would cry out to God because I knew that in my heart there was this load, there was a burden of, uh, of, of hurt and uh, and uh, wanting to take revenge, wanting to speak 
out. But I knew that the Lord's hand was upon me, was heavy upon me, and He did not allow me to do this. And I felt like I wanted to burst many times because of the fact that I was so angry, I was so mad with them. And then I had to go and preach. And every day uh, when that happened, I would call out to God, call out to God. And you know, just before it's time for me to preach, the bitterness, the, the anger would just lift. The burden would just lift. And as it lifted, I would have a heart that was free. I could love, I could forgive, and to love even the ones who were actually insulting me and all that. I was like considered like at the bottom of the, of the pile together with another guy. It was for some while, for, for some time. But I realized this was important because, you know, in Second Corinthians chapter 1, God says, uh, Paul says, Blessed are those, uh, blessed is he who comforts you in all your affliction so that you can, with that comfort, that quantum of divine comfort, comfort others with that supernatural power so that others who are, who are hurt can be, be, can be comforted. The comfort, the, the, the quality of comfort, the quantity of comfort, the distinct comfort that we receive from God is powerful because what it does is that it causes us to be able to minister that comfort so much so that we can speak a word, even a whisper, and supernaturally comfort comes to people's hearts. That doesn't come because of the fact that you are good at counseling or you're gifted at talking and you can, you can, talk bitterness out of people's heart. No, it becomes because of, because of the fact that you have in your own um, hurt received the comfort of God. Now, may I suggest to you that for Joseph to be filled with the Spirit of God, God had to empty out everything in his heart that was not of the Spirit of God, that was of the flesh. And that is why we are betrayed. That's why we get angry. That's why we are challenged with fires fires upon our heart and there are times in which we feel like we want to murder somebody many times and at the same time you have to just be able to come to God and you, say, and you know that that's not an option that's available to you not even subtly because I would sometimes subtly kind of give them a, a kind of a dig back like a backhand slash and then the Lord would convict me and I would not be able to, to get in the presence of God I could, not be able, I could not preach I could not do anything I would be just stuck completely uh, angry at God because of the fact that He would not let me win. But it was in this place that the Lord showed me that there's, a, there's only one, one way and that is you have to receive the comfort of God. Even when you are crushed, even when you are humbled, even when you are made to eat humble pie. But it's in this place that God did this. It's in the pit, you see. It's in the pit that you fight the devil and you destroy the gaunt cows you, f you destroy the spirit of scarcity, the spirit of poverty. It is in this place where God actually begins to do, to do that. I can only think of that as the reason why Joseph was able, at the end of it, not to be a crotchety, broken, fragile man. Instead of being a bitter person who has, who has no more aspirations, no more hope, who had reduced his hope to something very, very small, mirroring the confinements of his pit, he became bigger than the pit, bigger than, the, than the, um, the, the prison that he was in. And it came about that something really small took place. These two jokers, the baker and the, and the, and the, and the, the wine taster, came in and dreamt and found that there was a man who was already filled with the Spirit of God to a large extent, who could interpret his dreams. And do you notice Joseph's way, actually, in which he approached this? He was like, why are you so sad? It's almost as if Joseph had overcome the sadness that was there in his heart. Why are you so sad? And they tell him his, told him his dream, and he, this is in chapter 40, he began to interpret it, and it came to pass. There's only one way you can function like that, in that level of accuracy. Not because of the fact that you're gifted, but not because of the fact that you are, you, are, you are happy, but because of the fact that you have the comfort of God. You've overcome that. If you've not overcome that, you may be gifted like crazy. You may have the gift of prophecy 
um, to the nth degree. You may have the words of knowledge, you get all that kind of stuff, and all the, you've been released into ministry, you've been prayed for, you've been, you've been ministered to, and you've been anointed by, 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 and laid hands on by all that. If you don't have the overcoming spirit, you will function from the spirit that has overcome you. The wrong spirit has overcome you. And you will not be able to function. You may be gifted, but you cannot function under pressure. You cannot function under anxiety, under, un, under all that, because the devil can overcome you. The devil has overcome many gifted people. Most gifted people are overcome by the devil because they can't overcome the betrayal. They can't overcome their, 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 their um, um, sin, their hopelessness. And it was in this place that, that Joseph began to function in a small way. And if you are prepared to do small things and not think about your, um, the bigness of your ministry or your, or your destiny and all that, but just do faithful things, God is actually going to use you. Amen? It was in this place that God was building up his spirit, Joseph's spirit, right there. Let's keep going. We are in chapter 41. And big and pivotal things were happening there. After two years, after two years, Pharaoh had a dream, it says. And God began to speak to Pharaoh and put within Pharaoh such a deep-seated hunger, a God-shaped vacuum, a God-shaped desire to know truth. Now, it's important to, for, to, for us to understand that when Pharaoh had this dream, and his response to the dream is that i got to know what the interpretation is, he was not looking for worldly wisdom. He was not looking for a book that people had read on dream interpretation. He was not looking for that. He was not looking for something that his magicians could give him. The magicians would have given him all the learning that they had from the university of dream, dream interpretation. They, he would have given, they would have given him all the, the symbolic knowledge that came with the field of study because it really was a field of study. But Pharaoh was not satisfied with that because it didn't hit the quick in him. He needed something that would resonate more than just in a mental sense. I don't mean resonate the, the way sometimes we, we all use the word in our modern day, everything resonates. No, he was talking about something that had to hit the quick to make him convinced, make it all come together in such a way that everything came together in a, in a, in a, in a, in a almost a physical whoosh for him. And when he asked his, um, uh, his wise men and all that, he was not asking for something that they had learned in the dream interpretation school. He was not asking for the, the best information about dreams. You've got to know that he was asking for something that would actually work supernaturally. It had to be given by the gods. And that is why he is saying, I need a man who is got the gods in him, or the God in him, with the Spirit of God in him. He was looking for something more than what knowledge could happen. He need, was looking for more than the best paradigms. And God prepares such people for you. God is preparing people for you. He is preparing these people to meet you, and He's preparing you to meet these people, because these people are people of caliber. They're not people who are satisfied with the best thing that the world can teach them. They're not satisfied with them. Those things may be good, but it's not satisfying to them. And so Pharaoh, uh, at this moment, was being raised up by God to save the world because Egypt was the breadbasket of the world. If Egypt fell to famine, the rest of the world would starve. God was actually going to save the world through Pharaoh and he'll save Egypt through Joseph. And what was happening is this, everything that Joseph had been going through in the, in the, in the, in the confines of that pit, in the, of the jail, was crucial, crucial for this saving of the world. And this is not even, not even a real exaggeration. It is actually true that Egypt was the breadbasket of the world at that time. 
The whole world came to Egypt for, for its, uh, its food. And it was at this time that Pharaoh was, was, was being spoken to by God. And God timed it in such a way that when Joseph was released from prison, it was right there at the exact time it needed to be. And Joseph comes out. And because of the fact that he has been faithful in a little thing, Pharaoh hears about him at the right time. And just his rejection of the world's wisdom was in itself a providence of God. There is going to come a time for us when all the learning of the world and all the best conventional wisdom and all the popular thinking and everything that we are told is going to fall flat and it's just not going to be enough. And God is preparing you and me for such a time. Now, what happened was this. He comes and he brings Joseph out. And so it says, verse, uh, verse 14, Joseph, Pharaoh sent and called Joseph and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. Now, sometimes people make too much out of the shave himself and change his clothes as if uh, how we dress and how we, how we appear and how we, how we image ourselves is important. No, it's not important. He just needed to be sensibly dressed enough for, for Pharaoh. And he brought him to, to, to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream and there is no one who can interpret it. Get ready for that. Because God is going to bring us to that point when somebody will tell you, there is no one who can interpret it for me. And then he says, I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. There you go. Think about it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you know what God is speaking. When you hear a dream, you know how to hear from God. I've heard it said from you, of you that you can hear from God. I've heard it said of you that what you hear is accurate and efficacious. I've heard it said of you I, he didn't say, I've heard it said of you that you're a great musician or artist or doctor or a lawyer or a, or a, or a, or a performer or a comedian or anything. I've, I, he was not talking about that. He says, I've heard it said of you that you do big things, important things, things that have divine significance, destiny-wide significance. I've heard it said of you. And I tell you, this is what God wants to do in us. No self-advertising. I have heard it said of you. Have you got that? Have you had that said of you? I've heard it said of you. That if anybody wants to hear from God, they just need to come to you. I've heard it said of you. Now most of us want to get big through media and through advertising and through marketing. I don't know what to say about that. Maybe it's good. But here, the advertising has to do with I have heard it said of you that you do these things. What, what did he hear? He heard it from the cupbearer. Have you had experiences where people have come to you and said, I've heard it said of you that you can pray for me and something will happen. Have you heard it said of you when someone said, you hear from God? You've got to have one of those. I have heard it said of you. I've heard it said of you. I've heard it said of you. Amen? I tell you... Um, one, one time I was preaching in, uh, an, in the University of Cal in uh, UC Davis, and uh, there was one girl who was, uh, one woman who was uh, sitting, in the f sitting in the back, and uh, she refused to engage with anybody. She was very bitter and refused to tell anybody about why she was bitter, but she had a scowl on her face all the time. 
during that, 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 that conference. And finally, on the last day, or last night, on the Saturday night, actually, um, after I had prayed for everybody, there was a group of people around the back of the, of the, of the hall, and they said, can you pray for this person? Um, and the person, somehow God had touched her, but she had a controversy with God. And she couldn't forgive for God for that. And so they asked me to pray for her, and I prayed for her. And as I prayed for her, the Lord showed me that um, God loved her and was her mother. Not her father, but her mother. And when I just said that, she just burst into tears. And all the bitterness from her past relationship with her mother just melted away. At the end of it, we had a good time of prayer. And at the end of it, she was completely set free. Completely transformed. Gave her life to God. Knows the love of God. I was invited again to go to Davis to speak again. And the next year that I went back, I went three years in a row uh, after that first time. And, that, and when I went back, there she was. And uh, the staff were gathering and they were, we were talking about it. And they were, you know, as they all, the, the, before a conference, the staff would, would tell us, okay, what are we expecting and all that. And then one person said, this person, and I'll call her Loretta. Loretta has invited 15 people to this conference and has shared her testimony and has told everybody that they will get a word from God if they came for the conference. Well, God really moved that next time. And so many people uh, experienced God's power through this person who you'll call Loretta. She was used by God tremendously. I have found that many times these, I have heard it said of you, come from situations in which people who are completely skeptical saw the power of God working in their life. And so I found that this is very, very true uh, in many of the conferences that I've spoken at. I'm always invited at least twice in a row, and I find that the second time, many of the people who come, and we always have record attendance for these four conferences, they come because people who were very, very hardened, they needed God to actually come through. Something that you can't bluff around with. You needed a word that you can't just bluff around and be so vague and so that it covers everything. They needed an authentic word from God. Comes from. Would, they would come because of the, being invited by these, these ones. I have heard it said of you, I have heard it said of you, that God moves where you are. I've heard it said of you that wherever you go, God works. I've heard it said of you. I want to put it to you that actually God is raising us up to be that way. And He's raising us up from prison as well. The world is looking for that. And may I suggest to you that God is wanting to raise us up for that. I'm going to close in a few minutes. You know, one of the things that we've been talking about in, 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 in BCF has always been about the fact that God wants to transform us from the inside out to cause us to be people like Joseph, like Elijah, like Elisha. We've talked a lot about the fact that God wants to manifest His power through us. But a lot of times it's just teaching, speaking, preaching. And we listen to the word and we go back and we try to apply it in a certain way. But a lot of what we are talking about involves a sustained commitment to prayer, to engaging with God until He empties us out. Because we cannot be filled with the Spirit unless we're emptied out. And may I suggest to you that actually everything we've said all these years actually cannot be accomplished by one sermon. It has to be accomplished when a person decides they are going to test it out 
and enter into a sudden covenant relationship with God by which they will seek Him and wait upon Him in the imprisonment and confinement of their lives and pray until that practice of prayer transforms them. They become people who don't pray. They become prayer. They don't pray to God. They pray from God. They change their location and where they live is not in the world so that they visit God in prayer. They begin to be bonded to God so much so that when they're bonded to God, they live from God because prayer has destroyed their life, has destroyed their flesh. It has destroyed their think, way of thinking. They've destroyed their way of conventionally just following what everybody else says and, 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 and reading the best books. They have, they have come to a place where prayer has caused them to have revelation. They can never see the world in any other way. They've seen the glory of God and they cannot unsee it anymore. They have been confined to prayer in such a way that they are, they are, they are a bond servant of Jesus Christ so they cannot help it anymore. And as what's happened is, is tremendously is this. Since COVID-19 started, there has been a company of people and that the company seems to be growing. I don't know how it happened, but there was a company of people who decided, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to take part in prayer a few times a week and I'm going to pray and pray and pray until, until something changes inside me. They have decided that preaching is not going to be enough for them. They're going to have to practice it. And they have to practice it and they have to face the, 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 the fuzziness of prayer until something begins to hold, hold, hold on. And as they've done that, I've begun to see this courageous group of people change. They've changed because they've come from a place in which they are going to enter into the place of prayer to living in that place of prayer so much so that when they come to pray, pray, it is natural. Now, what we are learning to do is this, not just to pray whatever comes into our senses and so whatever prayer needs to come, we just pray it out based on our senses. We are learning how to pray in the Spirit and pray until something comes through and then not pray, pray until that thing is, 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 is coming up. We are growing in that. We are not there yet, but we are growing in that. And so we are, we are learning that we, are, we need to be immersed in something more than just preaching or teaching. We have to be not just visiting the Lord, but actually immersed in the Lord. So much so that God can actually, like what he did in, in Joseph in prison, devastate the work of the flesh. So much so that whenever we are called to pray, we, by faith, and in good faith, take whatever comes. It's just like what Cindy always told me. How she, she used to work in quantum physics, in, 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 a, in a quantum physics lab, what they would call a clean room, because of the fact that the room needed to be as free of particles as possible, so that the measurements that are taken with those instruments can be done in good faith. The room had to be sucked, uh, vacuumed of all particles as far as they could, so that the measurements can be accurate. But when you take the measurements, you just take it simply. You just read it off. You just read off the measurements. You just read off the measurements. In prayer, it's the same thing. How do you know that you're hearing from God and, and not hearing from yourself? How do you know that when you give out a word of knowledge, it is from God and it's not just from the multitude of thoughts that are in there? They may be all good thoughts, but how do you know it's from God? You can only know if you're in a clean room. If your room has been dedicated to God, and it's not filled with all kinds of junk or indifferent stuff. How do you know that your hearing is accurate? You can't do it by figuring it out. You have to do it because you are assured that you have immersed yourself in prayer, and every day you emptied yourself to God. I don't mean in the Buddhist sense. I mean you empty yourself to someone, to God, and God fills you. And you can only take readings when you're praying for people off the surface. You can only read them off the surface in good faith because you know that you've lived life which is holy. And you don't even depend upon your feelings. Because what's happening is that I'm finding that as we pray for people and have words of knowledge, God is healing people um, a lot. And as that is happening, how I feel when I'm praying for someone matters nothing. It is totally not a matter of feeling. I may not even feel faith, but I have to pray out in good faith out of the 
thing that's in my heart as simple as possible. And so it's in this place that God calls us to be a people who are ready. There is going to come a time in which Pharaoh will ask, is there a man or a woman in whom is the Spirit of God? Let us pray. We welcome you, Lord. Thank you that you set your heart upon us like the angels, upon us insignificant people, that we insignificant people can have joy of the Lord and we can experience Christmas in a way that the Lord is come, who has already come, but now He can take over more and more of us. The amazing thing that you can think your thoughts through us and that our thoughts can be the thoughts of God mediated by His Spirit through our flesh, through the brokenness of our own frame. Thank you that you are preparing every one of us to be people for whom it is said, I've heard it said of you. I've heard it said of you. You know, I grew up in a family that doesn't affirm much. My parents were quite uh, conservative and very uh, restrained. So I didn't get much praise. I hardly ever got much praise when I was growing up. And I had not joined my parents' church. I had joined another church. But then rumors came of what God was doing in my life. And one day at night, I was sitting alone with my dad watching the football on TV. And he just said to me, Michael, I've heard it said of you that God does miracles. And then we just said, I just said, <laughs> and we finished the conversation, that was it. And we went back to the football. But it was an important and significant time when my own father, who doesn't give praise that easily, is able to say to me, I've heard it said of you. Lord, we thank you. Come, Holy Spirit. You have given us your spirit, and we want to dwell in his presence. You have given us yourself. But Lord, we sometimes struggle with giving ourselves to you. And so we invite the Holy Spirit to come to overcome our bitterness, overcome our questions, our questioning, by speaking to us, Lord. We are prepared to wait upon you that you can use us even in the confinement of our lives. We give ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to welcome you to join us to receive the Holy Spirit. This is the new covenant that um, the Old Testament saints never experienced. The new covenant in which Christ has given us of his Spirit so that we can have all that Joseph experienced and more. Spend a, t spend a bit of time with us and we will just be just soaking in his presence if you are able to. God bless you and have a great week.